0: Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Today's reading is from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 19. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Amen. Thank you, Brooke. Wonderful. Well, welcome along. Hello. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Dave. It's a privilege always to be with my Allgate family, preaching the Word of God. And we're in missions, May I loved how Karen put that so simply, that 800 people give $50 and we get to 40000 And what a great testimony uh, as a church to be able to Contribute over and above. As a a church, if you don't know, we tithe our budget, so 10% of all offering goes to mission. This is about doing more. This is about having a spirit of generosity over and above the tithe that God calls us to. And today we're going to have a look at just this idea around how we become the people of God's mission. We've spent the month exploring the purpose of God's mission. We've looked at the this concept and this whole idea that God has established His church to go and be His hands and feet on the world. We spent time praising God for His mission. Uh, but today I want to look at the how. The how do we become those people that God has called us to be? How do we truly be the church? Amen? That's what we're going to look at today as we dive into this. And I want to invite you into a thought train today. So we're going to jump on board a thought train and this thought train, uh, it begins with the Asprey revival, finds its way towards a pumpkin patch into the book of Ephesians and then the book of Acts. All right, are you ready? Are you ready to jump on board? Now did anyone here follow the Asprey revival when that, that came along? Oh my goodness me. Shame on you. No. (laughs) Basically, a a number of months ago, there was a bunch of university students at Asbury University over in the US who met for a chapel service. And as they met for this chapel service, they they were just, it's an ordinary, normal, run-of-the-mill chapel service where someone got up to preach, they had some worship. And for whatever reason, a bunch of young adults decided to stay. And they stayed and they stayed and they stayed in worship and in prayer and all of a sudden people started to hear that something was happening in the chapel. And then more and more people started to come and they kept worshipping and they kept praying and this went on for day after day after day after day. And it ended up in carrying on for over two weeks. People started flying in from all over the world to the point where the professors at the school eventually had to say, what the heck are we going to do? Because this is a small school in a small town and the entire town kind of was shut down with just kilometres of cars lined up trying to get to Asbury University to get a touch of what God was doing. And it's an incredible story and I have had the privilege in the last month to spend some time over in London and a part of that time over there was with some of these people from the Asbury Revival. And the whole concept of this thing was that it was nameless and that it was faceless. That there was, it it was no famous people standing up. It wasn't that there was, you know, people with 2 million YouTube followers leading and preaching. It was just a bunch of very ordinary first, second year university students worshipping God. Praising God and a bunch of professors behind the scenes trying to figure out what the heck is God doing and how are we supposed to steward this thing. It was just this incredible time. So they had a bunch of these people share, and part of the story that they were sharing was it started to break out not just at Asprey, but all over America, and these little seeds of revival. And this one phrase, this one saying that stood out to me, as it went to all the way to Ohio and Cleveland where they were meeting and one, this, this young person said this phrase to his professor. He said these words, Why not here? Why not now? Why not here? Why not now? And that got in my spirit. Because I don't know about you, but when I look at Adelaide, I look at the Adelaide Hills, I look at our world at the moment, that question is very, very relevant. Are you with me? I don't know if you've done, looked at the census data, but the census data shows that the Adelaide Hills, where we live, is one of the least church people groups in all of Australia. That we are affluent, we are very, very white, but we, and we have one of the highest volunteer rates of anywhere. So people want to be in community, they want to be involved, but one of the least churched people groups in the entire nation. And so that question, why not here, why not now, should resonate in our souls. Do you believe we need a touch of God, Hills Baptist Allgate? I believe with all my heart that we need an awakening in our day. When we look at the world and everything that's going on, the church needs an awakening. And so I've been sitting with this question, right? Why not here, why not now? And there's another phenomenon that happens, and I don't know if you're familiar with this, you probably are. I think it tends to happen once you get past 30 and often when you're married, this, this moment happens in life where you wake up one morning, you roll over and you look in your beloved's eyes, just this beautiful moment in time and you both have the same thought. And eventually you muster up, one of you will muster up the courage as you have this thought, as you're looking into each other's eyes, you'll just say four simple words, I think it's time. And you immediately know what they're thinking. You say, yep, it's time to plant a vegetable garden. <laughs> Anybody? It's time to plant a veggie patch. We're going to grow our own veggies. And often what happens is you start this... this Beautiful pursuit of planting veggies and within the first week frost has come and you've lost all of them. And so then you plant a whole bunch of veggies that you don't actually want to eat, but you just plant them because you think they'll grow. Anyone with me here? (laughs) Amen. And so you go on this, this pursuit of vegetables. You want to plant your own veggie patch. And so we had this happen to us. And so we decided we're going to plant our own veggie patch, particularly my wife who did a great job of it. One of the veggies we planted was a pumpkin, pumpkin plants. We thought, right, this is going to be a good place. We did the research. We put it in good soil, in good area. It's going to get good sunlight with good moisture and hopefully not frost. And these plants should thrive. And I think we planted six little plants. Five of them died within the first day. One of them survived. And it was just on its last legs. We had all the natural herbicides. Like, come on, mate, you can thrive. (laughs) And eventually he took off. I don't know why I called it a he, but I just he was my little guy I'm like come on mate you can do it and he just started to take off and this plant just started to go and go and it went gangbusters and it took over the entire like the whole veggie garden it was massive and I was getting so excited because I love pumpkin soup anyone I love a good pumpkin soup. So I'm like, oh, this is a vegetable we're actually going to eat and we're going to have pumpkin soup for days and this is going to be amazing. And this plant was just going, going, it was green, it was huge. And so I'd go out there every day and I'd like, where's my pumpkins? Nothing. I'm like, where's the pumpkins? Why aren't they coming? And then all of a sudden the flowers started to come out. I thought, oh, this is right. We needed flowers first. So the flowers came out and I'm searching like, still no pumpkins. And by this time, the, literally this veggie, this pumpkin patch has taken over everything. Joe's like, we're going to have to rip, if this is not producing pumpkins, we're going to have to rip this thing out because everything else is dying because this is taking over everything. I'm like, no, 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 we just got to, it's got to produce pumpkins. And then one week went by and then two weeks went by and then three weeks went by, still no pumpkins. So eventually I'm like, all right, I'm going to go and I'm going to do one more bit of research because I love researching And figure out what's going on. And Joe's out there in the garden working away. I've gone and what I've studied as I've looked at the pumpkin patch is that the male flowers come out first. Who's enjoying Gardening 101 today? (laughs) (laughs) And the male flowers will come out first to attract the bees and create a, a pollen path, they call it. So that the bees will learn that I want to come to this plant. And it can be up to almost over a month or more until the female flowers come out. And so the bees have learnt, and then they go to the male flower, then they go to the female flower, that's the birds and the bees, kids can talk about it later. And it gets pollinated and then all of a sudden the pumpkins will come with the female flowers, right? So I've gone inside, learnt this information, got very excited, I've run outside to say, Joe, this is all that's gonna happen. And as I walk outside, there she is with arms full of pumpkin plants walking to the chicken coop. (laughs) And as she's dragging this plant along there, you could see these tiny little pumpkins forming at the bottom of these brand new flowers. And I was like, no! <laughs> if only we'd just waited a little bit longer. And it was funny because I'd been reading the book of Ephesians, I'd had this thought, why not here, why not now? And then this, I just paused in this moment and started to think, There's something here in this beautiful Ephesians passage where Paul's praying for the Ephesian church to be the church, right? For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power. Everyone say power. Through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you... Being rooted and established. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God in Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. So know something that surpasses knowledge. It doesn't make any sense, Paul. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And so in this moment, I'm sitting here looking at pumpkins going towards a chicken coop, thinking to myself, rooted and established, that you might know something that can't fully be known so that you can be filled to the fullness of the measure of God. And the thought came to me, that's revival. If the church, if we, every person who calls On the name of the Lord. If the church is filled to the fullness of the measure of God. Just picture that for one second. Think about it. Filled to the fullness of the measure of God. God. That we, human beings, can be filled to the fullness of the measure of God. how the world would change. But the only way that can happen is if we are rooted and established because we can be rooted, you can be planted in good soil, you can hear the Gospel, you're like, yeah, yeah, I know that, I get that, that's good. But if we're not established, if we don't sit in it, if the roots don't go down deep for a long, long time, drawing the appropriate nutrients, we will never produce this fruitfulness It's not enough to be rooted. We need to be rooted and established because it's only as we are rooted and established that we will actually be able to go about and experience the fullness of the measure of God and therefore go and be the very people that God has created and called us to be. Amen? But then it occurred to me, well, how does that happen? How can I know something that can't fully be known? How can I know the love and the height and the breadth of God? How can that be true? To know that which surpasses knowledge. And that's where this word power comes to mind. I pray that you would have power. And when I heard that, my mind went immediately to where? Church, Acts chapter 1. Let's go there. How many of you know that today's Pentecost Sunday? Acts chapter 1. What does Jesus say as He's about to ascend to the Father? From verse 7, He said, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by His own authority, but you will receive what? Power, Power. when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Power for what? Power to work just signs and wonders? Power to be a Christian magician kind of thing? Which I think some, sometimes we think and that freaks us out, so we sort of just push it to an arm's distance. No, I think this is what Paul's talking about. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power to know the height and the depth and the breadth and the length of the love of Christ to know Christ, a knowledge which it surpasses knowledge. Like it's only by the Holy Spirit's power that the church can actually begin to get a picture of how much they are loved in Christ. It's only by the Holy Spirit that we can truly know Christ. And when we truly know Christ, everything changes when we are established in Christ because we cannot be established in Him without the power of the Holy Spirit. We can sit in church our whole life and it's just words. It's just a dude rambling on about pumpkins. It's just people. It's just in one ear, out the other. It is only when the Holy Spirit comes upon us that Christ actually becomes magnified and glorified in our lives and we, and we go, wow, He loves me that much? And it's no longer just this, it's this. It's what the Greeks call gnosko. That's the word in the Greek here, which means to know experientially. The same knowledge it uses when talking about a husband and a wife that we know intimately We can't have that unless the Holy Spirit comes upon us. And yet so often in the church, we're like, Holy Spirit, that's weird. I'm just going to Father, Son and Holy Scriptures, amen. I'm not so sure about Holy Spirit. But without the Holy Spirit, we're nothing. We're just a green plant with no fruit. And we're not created to be a green plant with no fruit. We're created to abide. And in abiding, that there would be fruits in keeping with repentance. Are you with me? So that then takes us to Acts chapter 2 which happens to be the day of Pentecost which happens to be the day we celebrate today and there's this fascinating moment. Let's go there, let's go to Acts chapter 2 from verse 1. It says when the day of Pentecost came Because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they ask, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Verse 12 Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, What does this mean? Peter gets up, preaches, go to verse 40. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Okay, here's what I want us to see in the time we have left this morning. That there are four signs that happen on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes that speak to, that when we catch these four signs, when these four signs are... Established in our hearts. Four things the Holy Spirit wants to establish in us which will bear up that fruit of truly knowing Christ, which will illuminate the glory of Christ in our lives, that we will begin to see Christ rightly. And there's four things that happen that speak to this. You ready? You ready? Firstly, a question. Why Pentecost? Why why wait until Pentecost for the Spirit to come? Has anyone ever wondered that before? Why why is it, when we think about it, so Jesus dies, rises again, ascends? Why not the day after He ascends for the Spirit to come? Why does he go, actually, disciples, I want you to wait in Jerusalem? Here's what I want you to understand. Jesus is declaring his glory through the Jewish festival calendar. There's seven Jewish feasts. All right? Seven Jewish feasts. There's three autumn feasts. And they are, so that's the the picture of the, the latter harvest and those three autumn feasts are trumpets, the Day of Atonement and tabernacles. There's four spring festivals of feasts. They are Passover, Unleavened Bread, First Fruits and Pentecost. Now, Passover is where they celebrated the fact that in Egypt that the, that the Spirit passed over them. They sat under the blood of the Lamb. So they sacrificed the Lamb. They put the blood on the doorpost and that spirit of death passed over them so that none of them suffered death. And there's a whole lot about the Passover which has so much intricate detail. But that's what Passover was. The very next day is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That is where they get rid of all yeast because yeast leads to decay. Yeast is a picture in the Scriptures of sin. So you get rid of yeast. So the spirit of death passes over us. We then get rid of yeast. And then on the third day, we celebrate first fruits, which is that uh, the celebration of the first spring harvest. That life has come up from the ground and you bring an offering to God. Passover, the very next day, unleavened bread. On the third day, first fruits. And then 50 days later, they celebrate Pentecost, which is where the law was given to Moses on Mount Sinai in the form of the Ten Commandments. And so they celebrate the law coming to them so that they would know how to have relationship with God. There's a very brief summary of the spring festivals. Watch this. Jesus dies on Passover What did John say? Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. He sheds his blood so that when we are under the blood, oh, I'm going to get excited. (laughs) When we are under the blood, when we are covered by the blood of Jesus, death no longer has mastery but passes over us. He goes into the grave. As he goes into the grave, what does he remove? The curse of sin and death. Yeast is being removed from the church. He has taken, literally taken sin, the curse of sin, and he has taken it to the grave. He has removed it from the people of God for those who would sit under the blood and trust in him. What happens on the third day? First fruits, what does he do? He rises, as it says in 1 Corinthians, as the first fruits of many. Jesus has fulfilled Passover. He has fulfilled the unleavened bread. He has fulfilled the feast of first fruits, and then he hangs around for forty days, giving witness. And then he says, "Wait." Why does he say wait? Because he's waiting for wants him to wait for Passover ten days later. For those who've got your quick maths. And on the 50th day, when Passover comes, where they celebrate the giving of the law, where fire came on Mount Sinai and where the law was given so that the people could have relationship with God, so they could know how to commune with Him, what happens? The Holy Spirit comes and rests upon the church. That there would be a new covenant, that there'd be a new way of engagement, a new law, the law of the Spirit by which we now engage with God. And it happens on Passover for a reason Pentecost, Pentecost sorry, <laughs> for a reason. Because he's fulfilling the Jewish feast. Interestingly, what's the next feast? The Feast of Trumpets. How's he gonna come back? The trumpet sound. Oh, it gets me really excited. Friends, you've got to understand that the Old Testament's not something we just do away with. Jesus is literally, he says, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So when we read the New Testament, you read it in the eyes of the Old Testament and you realize, wow, he's actually done it. He's fulfilled the Old Testament. He's fulfilled the law. But what the heck does that mean? And that's where these signs come into play. First one, the first sign is the sign of wind. Can we have that that point up? The sign of wind. The Spirit comes. Now, you've got to go, who's ready to study the Bible for five minutes? Is that all right? When the wind comes, that takes us straight back to Genesis, straight back to Genesis 2, where it talks about the breath of God. Now, when you look at this idea of wind in the Scripture, it's the same word interchangeably with breath, and the same word interchangeably with spirit. So, in the Greek, it's pneuma; in the Hebrew, everyone say this: it's ruach. and it all it all speaks to this same idea and what happens for humanity in Genesis chapter 2 is God breathes the wind of God the breath of God comes and fills this form that is a human being but it's just made out of dust and all of a sudden the breath of life enters us the wind of God enters us and we have life and then what happens those of you who know the bible Genesis 3 we sin We say, I want to be my own God. I want to be able to choose right and wrong for myself. I want to direct my own steps. We reject God as Lord. We put ourselves as Lord. In so doing, we sin against God. And He says in that moment, if you take of this fruit, what's going to happen? You will surely die. He's talking about spiritual death. That human beings who were created to be immortal, created to dwell with God for all of eternity, now are separated from God. And so we see for all of the Old Testament, human beings who are no longer what they were created to be, not in this life-giving eternal relationship with the the creator of heaven and earth, but we now live in death and that God is constantly coming to bring life, to bring renewal. And the, the, the wind that comes on Pentecost, the wind is about that breath of God coming. And he's saying, you now have new life life by the Spirit, life by the blood of Jesus that was shed for you in Christ. You have eternal life. I'm restoring the Genesis 2 picture that human beings can now have life and life to the full. Jesus says, I came that you might have life. That's what He's doing. That's what the wind is all about. When these people heard the wind, it's not just like some weird ethereal moment where they're like, oh there's wind. (laughs) You know it's not just a rant, things aren't just random in the scripture, this is purposeful and intentional, it's the breath of God that people go, it means something, it means that this new life has come, it's a symbol of what God has done in Christ. Friends, it's only by the Spirit that you can truly catch a picture of the fact that apart from Him, I am dead. And in Him, in His love, I'm alive. We have a whole world out there who thinks it's alive, who thinks that life is in how much money I can make or how much, how many followers I can have, how much power I can have, how great my family can be. Whatever, we have so many things that we're, Holding on to and yet it's just death wrapped up in flesh. And the Holy Spirit would come to bring a revelation that apart from Christ you are dead but in Him is life. And when that happens, we catch a picture of the love of God. Wow. The God who's outside of time and created everything would care so much for me, would love me so much that he would give his one and only son that whosoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's not just a Sunday school verse. It's a revelation that when it takes hold, changes everything. I'm loved by God. And all of a sudden we begin to be established in something of the depth. And the width and the length and the height of God's love in Christ. And then there's a second sign. The second sign, which is fire. Fire is a symbol of God's presence dwelling with humanity. All throughout the Old Testament, every time God appeared to his people, how did he come? Fire. Go back to the Mount Sinai moment where the the Pentecost celebration started. How did God come to his people? Fire on Mount Sinai, the presence of God. And now here we are on Pentecost Sunday, years and years and years later, the wind has come and now the fire has come, but no longer on a mountain dwelling on each person who's believing and trusting in the blood of Jesus. This is a symbol to everyone that all of a sudden you now have a new authority, a new access, a new role that the people of God are no longer separated from God, that we no longer have to access God through the blood of rams and bulls and through a Levitical priesthood and through the high priest who can enter once a year. No, 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 the presence of God has come to dwell with humanity. It's what Peter calls a royal priesthood, that we now have access to the very throne room of God. Do you know that? Does it make you excited? Does it stir you up inside that literally the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one who created all things, who is outside of time, would dwell with you, would want intimacy with you, would come every moment of every day and knock on your door and say, hey, you want to hang out? <laughs> Open up. Open up. Like, I, want, I want to chat. I want to spend some time. I want you to know how much I love you. This, this blows my mind. And as I've been studying this, it's been blowing my mind more and more and more that God wants to be known by me. The God of eternity can be known. What? <laughs> he is available. He does not hide from us. He is not pushing us to the side and saying, I don't have time for you. No, our prayers rise like incense before him. That is that picture of someone walking to a room wearing far too much Cologne. You've all been there, haven't you? What happens when someone wearing far too much cologne walks past you? You go, what happens to your attention? Every time we pray, cologne rises before the Lord and his eyes go, "Whoa, my child's praying. He's captivated by us and we have access and because we have access, we have authority a royal priesthood. And the Holy Spirit begins to establish us more and more something in the depth and the breadth of the love of God. This is what God has done in Christ. We could never do this on our own. Do you see it today? And then there's the third sign, which is tongues. And often in Baptist circles, when we hear that word, we go... Please don't talk about that in church. (laughs) Understand what's going on here. Go back to Genesis 11. What happens at Genesis 11? Tower of Babel. Genesis 11 is the culmination of Genesis 3 onward, which is basically the ever downward spiral of humanity before a new covenant comes. And it culminates... In a building of a tower, which we go, they build a tower. (laughs) Good on them. But no, 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 no. This is about human beings establishing themselves as kingdom builders. I will build my own kingdom to my own name. That's what happens to sinful humanity, that we will not subject ourselves to the kingdom of God and the ways of God. We will build our own kingdom to our own name, to our own glory, to our own fame. And God, in seeing this in Genesis 11, what does he do to the language? Confuses it. And he separates humanity. What happens on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes is that separation is reversed. Tongues is a Babel reversal. Tongues is where God is saying, no longer will you live for yourselves, but I am restoring a new purpose unto you where you will no longer be self Kingdom builders, you'll no longer go about wanting to build castles unto yourself, but you will build my kingdom. I am re- restoring and renewing a new humanity unto my name. No longer your own. I'm reversing the curse of Babel and I am establishing my own kingdom. A new kingdom, a, new, a, a, a renewed kingdom. And that humanity would be given this this purpose to go and build His kingdom, not our own. Because of all that He's done, that we understand His kingship and His lordship is so much greater than putting ourselves on the throne. That we understand that it's in dying to self that we're truly free. That we understand that when I lay down my life, truly then I find it. And that only happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we realise that God would actually have a purpose for us, not only has He saved us from sin and death, not only has He brought us into His presence to be a royal priesthood, but He's actually given us a a purpose to share this truth with others that the Holy Spirit would come and bring that same revelation to them. It makes you giddy inside. It's like God... He actually wants to use me. I can't even grow a pumpkin plant, for goodness (laughs) sakes. He wants me to play a role in his kingdom. And then we experience something of the love of God and we become more established in the height and the depth and the breadth and the width of his love. And then we come to the final sign and then we're going to finish which is this sign of the 3,000 souls. Church, I've got to be honest with you. I have studied this a lot and I've never seen this until just recently. Because Pentecost, how are we going? We going all right? Not too hot in here? Pentecost, on that day, Exodus 19 through to Exodus 32. Go and study this. All right? This is going to, Like, ruin you. (laughs) Exodus 19, Exodus 32. The law is given. This is an incredible moment. Israel is gathered around the bottom of the mountain. God calls Moses up to his very presence. What does Israel say? They're like, whoa, that's too much for us. You go, Moses. We don't want it. Breaks my, we want God to speak to us through a man. We don't want that access to his presence. It's too much for us. And so what happens is this Moses goes up. He gets the law. There's all these chapters of information about, okay, this is how you're going to engage with my presence. I've come to meet with you. Up they go. Moses comes down and he says to Joshua, Joshua's like, there's a noise. What's going on? What's happening? Long story short, Aaron explains it like this. He says, "Well, we started a fire and a golden calf came out." <laughs> Moses breaks the covenant, breaks breaks the tablets. And then something fascinating happens. He basically is saying this is wrong. And he says, "Who will stand for God?" There's a bunch of people who decide that they will. And they're, they're called the Levites. You've got to see this. Let's go to Exodus 32. From verse 27. Watch this. Then he said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. This is Moses. Each man strap a sword to his side. Go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbour. The Levites did as Moses commanded and that day about 3,000 of the people died. Then Moses said to the Levites, You have been set apart to the Lord today for you are against your own sons and brothers and he has blessed you this day. Friends. The outcome of the very first Pentecost, which the Jews have celebrated for thousands of years, is that 3,000 people died. This is what Paul's on about in Romans 8, when he's talking about what the law, like the law is good, but what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by sinful flesh. God did through his spirit. Because what's the outcome of the Pentecost when the spirit comes? So when the law came, 3,000 died. When the spirit came, 3,000 souls were saved. (laughs) Do you see it? It's not an accident. This isn't just a random, oh, 3,000 people got saved. So often we're like, that's awesome. No, this is a complete, this is a complete rewrite This is a complete undoing of the sinful nature and a complete renewal in the Spirit. This is the culmination of what happens in the new covenant, that there is life, that God intentionally in Christ wants you to understand that there is now a new foundation You know, it's no longer the foundation of legalistic righteousness and law. There is a foundation of grace and mercy in Christ that when we strive in our own might, we'll never get to God. Ultimately, it will be death. But in Christ, as we sit with Him, all that He has done, it leads to life. 3,000, the new covenant has come. The Spirit of God has come that we might have life and life to the full. And when we catch it, it's the Spirit, it's only by the Spirit He's establishing us in the love of Christ. Revealing to His people that Jesus is the answer to everything. And I can't wait for trumpets. Pentecost is so important because it is only because of Pentecost, it is only because of the Spirit that we will ever be able to see reconciliation, that we will ever be able to see renewal, that we will ever be able to see true life, where we will ever be able to see all the divisions of society as one under Christ. That there would truly no longer be Sikhthian Jews, slave or free, but one in Christ. And the only way we can be the people of God's mission is when the Holy Spirit establishes us truly in that beautiful, deep revelation of the love of God. Because it's as we get that that we will go out. But if Jesus is just a guru, if church is just a thing we attend, if the Bible is just a religious book or an interesting road map to life, we will never, ever, ever go. But when we truly know that Jesus is Lord of all, when we know this profound mystery that surpasses knowledge, but the Holy Spirit puts it here, We have power together with all the saints to grasp that. No one has to tell you to go. (laughs) They don't. You will go. Let's stand to our feet. Can we, Rach, can you come up? I really want to pray for us this morning. But as we close, let me just share one story of something that's been happening in my own family of late. I shared this at Verdun last week that uh, my youngest son, Benji, is nine years old, right? And very recently, you can give us a little tinker. Just very recently, I was coaching uh, basketball out at St Francis in Mount Barker and uh, Benji comes up to me and he's like, Dad, Can you, I won't use real names, except for his. He's like, dad, can you believe that Zach doesn't believe in Jesus? So what do you mean? He goes, well, we were just talking and I asked him, does he believe in Jesus? He said, no. And he was like, what? He goes, how do you think the world started, mate? (laughs) And Zach's like, oh, well, there was a big bang. And he's like, what, a big bang? is. how did that happen? And this kid's like, well, You know, obviously, he's a nine year old, so he probably can't truly articulate the whole idea that things collide. And he goes, Well, how did anything exist to explode in the first place? And so he's running to me with this zeal that this kid would know Jesus. Then a week later, someone else comes up to me and says, Dave, um, if you can't find Benji, it's because he's currently out witnessing on the playground. (laughs) He's got three guys around him, they're having a conversation about Jesus. Then we get in the car, just recently after I got back from London, the first question he asked, Dad, is King Charles a Christian? (laughs) I don't know, mate. He goes, all right, well, let's pray. Lord, we just pray for King Charles that you would reveal yourself to him in Jesus' name. He goes, and while I'm at it, I pray for Barry because he told his daughter that Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, but we know that's not true. So we pray that you would reveal yourself to him And while I'm at it, I pray for this person because they need to know that Jesus is Lord. Literally every person he meets, he's going, do you know Jesus? Do you know God? And if the answer is no, he's like, why not? (laughs) And then we got in the car and my daughter said to him, Benji, why do you ask that question of everyone? Do you know what his response was? And this like confronted me in a massive way. He goes, why don't you ask that question? Oh! (laughs) You see, something's happened. Actually, let me say this better. Someone has happened for Benji. He has caught a picture, not a full revelation yet, but he's caught a picture by the power of the Holy Spirit of the love of God in Christ. And he's, be, he's been rooted, but he's beginning to be established in that. And the outcome is everybody needs to know. It's confronted me because is my life a life that says everybody needs to know? What about you? And if that's not our reality, do you know what we need? A greater Depth, breadth, length, height of the love of God in Christ. That's what we need. You don't need another program. You don't need an inspirational speech. You don't need five steps to evangelism. You need a deeper revelation of the love of God in Christ and it will happen. And that revelation will only come by the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you want that revelation, if you want greater depth in the knowledge of the love of God, right now we're going to pray. And I want you, wherever you are, just put your hand up right now. If you want greater depth, I'm going to pray for us. Let's put those hands up. Awesome. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we pray this Pentecost Sunday by the power of Your Spirit that You would come And you would fill each and every one of us, every person here, with power to know the love of God in Christ. We pray Paul's prayer and we know that that finishes now unto him who is able to do immeasurably, exceedingly, abundantly more than we hope or imagine. You build your church Show us more of your Son by the power of your Spirit. Draw us closer to that revelation right now in Jesus' Name. Just fall upon your children. Fill us to the fullness of the measure of God that our lives would be wrecked before you and given over to your purpose. We pray. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Have your way. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.